Party on top. Party on south. Rock on. Rock on. Well, welcome back, podcasters, to another rockin' episode of the Party on John cast, uh, a podcast all about theology, uh, what we're drinking, uh, righteous music, and various topics. Um, so I'm Reverend Sal Marco, validated uh, a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church, USA, in the validated ministry of Hospice Chaplaincy. And I am the Rockin' Reverend. Uh, it sounds so pompous when I say, I am the Rockin' Reverend. But I, I do, you know, I like to rock. So I'm the Rockin' Reverend uh, Todd Laddick. I serve uh, as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, serving a congregation in New Jersey, in uh, Newton, New Jersey, to be exact. And uh, I have the more Calvinist beard. Unfortunately. <laughs> it was uh, God's providence and predestined. And only once a week is he on higher ground than me. This is true. <laughs> you still can't get away from that. <laughs> can't get away from that. Although, as was pointed out by our colleague this week, at least I can walk out the door and be like, ha Exactly. I have no worries. Exactly. My being on higher ground was really the least of your worries there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Unless there was an avalanche, my church came crumbling down. <laughs> that is quite possible. <laughs> it's always possible. Uh, anyway, so this is the Party Odd John cast. It is. Uh, so that brings us to our events segment. <laughs> events? Peace. Distill. Oh, no, this, this is the, uh, the Wedding at Kayla segment. I'll just say it so I can put in the sound effect. Yes, it is. This is the Hebrew segment. Wedding at Cana style. Yeah. <laughs> Wedding at Cana style. If you don't know that, you go can't get the Bible. <laughs> John, chapter, exactly. John hope, chapter 2. I would hope most of you know that reference, being that it was, according to John, the first miracle that Jesus Jesus performed. That's right, one of the, the party on John's. That's right. I think probably the coolest, John. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So who's going first? Well, you you got a pour, so you want to talk, talk about yours while you pour? Sure. So already here, poured. Let, me, let me do this. You hear that, Sal? I hear it. Does that sound beautiful to you? Look, 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 look. Sounds nice, good. Nice, tall, beautiful glass of... And here we go. I'm going to talk about it. The nice, tall, beautiful glass of Chateau Vercoge Conte 2016 uh, Bordeaux Superior um, from France. So, and uh, I got this at the whopping price of um, eleven dollars and ten cents. <laughs> I did see one there that I wanted to get that I was reading about in a book that was. Um, Oh, uh, I don't know, like five ninety nine, like not five dollars and ninety nine cents, but five hundred and ninety nine dollars. Okay. There's also a good scotch, a seventy five year old scotch there that is a um, hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars. So it makes the wine look like a walk in the park. Wow. Yeah. And this but is a, uh, this is eleven dollars and ten cents, and I will tell you right now. Oh, it's good. Ooh. Nice and dry. Um, peppery. That definitely has Cabernet Franc in it. Uh, peppery. Um, but bold. And um, I'm going to have to take a couple more sips to really feel the... Like, almost like current. Like like a dry, like, black current taste to it with, with the peppery, hints of pepperiness. It's just really, really good. Yeah. $11.10 all day long. <laughs> Good can't French go wrong, wine. Can't go wrong with that. Nothing wrong with go. a fine French wine. No, no, no. Very good. Uh, so I also am drinking wine. I don't know if you could hear that. I'm going to oh, top off my glass. Because I might as well finish the bottle. 
I take it you had some earlier this week, or are you boozing it tonight? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had some with dinner the, a couple of nights ago. Um, so I'm drinking, uh, I don't know if you've heard of 19 Crimes. I have. 19 Crimes, it's out of California. Uh, they, they, uh, it's each, each type of uh, wine is a different, is one of 19 criminals. So there's a picture of the, an actual picture of a criminal. And uh, it's what they call living wine labels, where if you download an app and you, you scan it, the label comes to life. And uh, which criminal's on your bottle? So this one is the uh, Snoop Dogg Alley Red. <laughs> kind of hard to consider yeah. him a criminal, <laughs> but he, does, yeah, but he plays guess, that character. <laughs> and, uh, he probably has a criminal record from. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has some. Right. Yeah, I'm sure he has some right. Um, he's. He's gotten, he's behaved himself more over the years, but I'm sure he has. Yeah, yeah. Had, had well, he, he, uh, he's very, he's friends with Martha Stewart now. So he, he, what is his line now? From crook to cook. From crook to cook and from cook to crook. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> no, he, uh, so, you know what? Snoop Dogg's awesome. I, I don't care what people he's say. Awesome. I love him. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a red blend. It's a Syrah, Syrah and Zinfandel. It's pretty, and like yours, it's only, it was only $11 and change. Yeah. I've, I've not tried the 19 criminals, but I'm going to have to now because just the, the good. living, uh, the living label is pretty rocking. Yeah. So and I'll, well, what I'll do is I'll send the video to Todd to put in the notes, but I have a video of the, the living label. So let's see if I can play it. No, that's not going to work because my headphones are connected. <laughs> so you're hearing it in your headphones? <laughs> now that took my headphones away from... Uh, All right, can you hear me? Yep. So um, what I'm going to say is, because I forgot to show the label, there's mine. It shows the beautiful chateau uh, in the region where this wine was grown and bottled. Well, invented and bottled. And like I said, this has Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, and... Um, Merlot. So nice. I lost my audio, so I only heard half, half of what you just said. But That's, you'll hear anyway. it. <laughs> I'll hear it later. <laughs> you'll hear it later. Um, so yeah, what I was saying is, I'll 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 send Todd the video of the living label. But yeah, so eleven and something and change. Uh, it's good red blend. Yeah, so. sounds like we both got quality wines. Uh. Yep. cheap bottom shelf quality wine <laughs> yeah i mean there's a i also like uh coppola wines they're merlot and that's uh depending where you get it anywhere from 15 to 20 bucks a bottle and that's for me that's a lot for a bottle of wine so <laughs> my uncle uh was a is a uh wine connoisseur i mean he doesn't he isn't drinking it much like he used to just for um various reasons but uh he used to have a wine cellar and everything and he used to spend you know he would be a guy that goes out and buys a $600 bottle of wine. Um, but he has long told me that the, the secret to a good wine is not the price. <laughs> you can get a very good and expensive wine. Uh, you can get a very bad and expensive wine. <laughs> you just need to know, you need to know um, how to taste the wine and how to enjoy the wine and what a wine ought to taste like. Um, and, it's an adventure and you start to learn trial by trial and error, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what a good wine is and what a good wine is not. And, uh, yeah. I, I've been, that, that's a very good tip. Yeah. Um, Allison would agree cause Allison worked her mom's boyfriend ran, well, runs a new restaurant, but ran a restaurant at a winery. And so she got to know decent wine, uh, and her, she's a big fan of Pinot Grigio Mm. Um, and she can usually tell by the color and the the feel of it if it's a good wine. And one of her favorite wines is actually a five dollar uh, Costco brand Kirkland Pinot Grigio. They, you know, small bottles of Pinot Grigio from Kirkland, mm -hmm. which is the Costco brand, is probably one of her favorite Pinot Grigios. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, I love Pinot Grigio. I love uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I love any good dry wine. I'm more of a red wine drinker, but uh, a good dry white wine is good too. So, and I told Sal uh, that I've actually been out to the Coppola um, winery 
and it's a really cool family-friendly place they have a pool they have an area like a museum kids can go walk through they don't care that they're walking through it and you can sit and taste while your kids are off doing something else and and it makes sense because Coppola is a big family-oriented guy, and um, you know he's he's Italian, so he, you know it's just in his blood. And he set up a winery for families to come and enjoy themselves. Yeah, and we all know those Italians—they they they give their kids sips of wine at five years old anyway. So oh, absolutely, they're, absolutely. they're probably sneaking your kids some wine anyway. So <laughs> not that um, I would know as no, an Italian. No, no. no. Um, it's kind of like a German with beer, you know? <laughs> so that is our uh, he vents segment. <laughs> it sounds so weird, he vents. Um, but that brings us to our most excellent music segment. Segment. Music segment. Music edition. <laughs> totally I couldn't think of couldn't think of a I was gonna say new wave edition, but only my music's new wave, so yeah. Mine's more but. new world. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'll go first, I guess. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Since you went went first with the so my I've been on a classic new wave kick lately. Uh Tears for Fears and um Men Without Hats, and kind of since that came came out of the, the punk genre, I'm a bit of a punk and hardcore kind of guy. Um, so I've been on a, a Tears for Fears kick and a Men Without Hats kick. Um, my Actually, my first ever in-person concert was in fifth grade, 1989, uh, Tears for Fears, uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love tour. Um, but that's not the song I'm going to do. I'm actually going to do from their, um, their, uh, other album. Why can't I think of the name of the album? Shout, the album with a shout. On it. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, their song, Broken. Which I kind of figured kind of goes with what we're talking about today, but more in general kind of um it's just a good summation of um humanity uh so the song broken it's got kind of a funky like upbeat kind of bass line to it so you 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 hear it and you're like oh it's a good good upbeat song but kind of like the song that you shared last time yeah i think todd oh yeah the happy house <laughs> <laughs> so uh the lyrics are between the searching and the need to work it out I stop believing everything will be all right. Broken, we are broken. I'm walking uphill, being turned around and round. Secret in motion when my feet are on the ground. Broken, we are broken. In my mind's eye, one little boy. Anger, one little man. Funny how time flies. So, and uh, if you know the kind of the background of Tears for Fears, they met, I think they met... Anyway, they they were in a program together back in the 70s, um, kind of where the song uh, Tears for Fear, the group name Tears for Fears and the song Shout came from as they were in a program. I forget the name of the program, but basically you shout out your your anger, all your issues, and it was like shouting therapy. And so, shout, shout, let it all out. These yeah. are the things. So, <laughs> Yep we can do without. So uh, a lot of their early stuff was about, you know, that process and how they met kind of through their time in this therapeutic program, dealing with their issues. So cool. Rock on. Well, Tears for Fears are just awesome. So no, can't have anything and, bad to say about them. No. And my backup was uh, Men Without Hats. Everyone knows Men Without Hats for their uh, safety dance song, mm-hmm. but actually their second, second album, Pop Goes World, uh, which came in out '87, which is around the time I was buying my first CDs and tapes, it was an awesome album. Like I wore that tape out like crazy. So um, there's a song on there called Tuesday. So check it out. Yeah, check it out. 
So uh, I'm going to bring up a, um, actually, she's very well known, but most people probably haven't heard of her. <laughs> um, at least, uh, you know, people who've listened to this podcast. Uh, Jocelyn, jo- Jocelyn Pook is a British composer who's been around since the 80s. Um, I mean, she's been alive longer than that, but her music has been, you know, she's been doing her thing since the 80s. Um, and she's actually, just like a lot of modern composers, you know, the way they, they make their money is through, um, you know, film scoring and things like that, or, you know, getting, um, you know, getting uh, asked to do this or that for this organization or that organization. So that's how they kind of get paid. Uh, but she uh, has a couple of albums that you can get, you can get, if you have Apple Music, it's on there. Um, and the song, what I love about her before I go into it, so it, I don't know if you've seen it, Sal, but the movie Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's last film, uh, she composed the music for that movie. And if you recall, that movie is kind of like that, that it's, it's very tense, very dark, very like, like, um, claustrophobic sounding. If you remember the, the, uh, the scene, uh, the rather, um, over the top scene where he's at the masked ball, like that, I'll, I, you can't unhear that song. The song is really what makes it as weird and creepy as, as it is, um, and uh, it's, it's just, she's excellent, but she focuses on the human voice and she's very, very spiritual. Um, uh, she has uh, one song that, that came out more recently called Hallelujah, but it's not Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. And it starts off with a, a Hebrew person singing in Hebrew. And um, it's, a, it's a prayer to God, whatever he's uh, singing. Uh, so it's, uh, chanting more or less so so she, there's a lot of that those elements in her music and she's a violin player so you got strings and you got like you know piano and you got like more strings than piano but you got like she's just an excellent composer and the, the song i'm choosing is off of her um album called uh untold things um and it's the fifth track I believe, uh, uh, if I'm wrong, I'll put it differently in the notes, but I believe it's the fifth track called uh, Hellfire and Damnation. like about her is she brings out the human struggle um and and you know like even even in a song named hellfire and damnation there's still hope for something better but there's despair in there um and the human condition in there and all of that like just comes out in the music like a flood and and i think it's appropriate for what we're going to talk about what we've been talking about what we are going to talk about tonight and what we'll continue to talk about um, yeah. because it's very needed. Um, the, the human condition is exactly why we find ourselves in the place we are. It's exactly why we see what's happening to George Floyd and people who are suffering oppression and injustice. It's exactly why we see uh, KKK people marching out in, in, the str- in the streets. We are sinners. We are walking embodiments of hell, fire, and damnation. And yet, God's going to change that there will be a hallelujah that comes out of that eventually. Yep. We are totes depraved. Totes depraved. So that's my choice. But, but like I you find said, it, I find a video of it. I'll, I'll post it. Okay. We're totes depraved, but God will work to completion his creation. So in his sovereignty. Yep. So, so nice. That's so our, I guess that kind of, that's our music segment, which yeah. kind of brings us to May the fourth be with you, and also with you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's our May the fourth. Second. May the fourth. 
<laughs> we had a Schwartz be with you. And yes, we did intentionally release. We know we always release on the first of the month, but we did intentionally release on the fourth of this month because it is May the 4th. Yeah. And don't forget, beware the, reven- the revenge of the fifth. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's the two days of the year. Yep. Now, you know, Calvin, Calvin was was initially, they thought he was going to be born on May 1st. Yes, I and remember. I was hope, and I was hoping he would be a little late and be born on May the 4th, Star Wars Day. But he decided to come a week early. So Close, but no. Well, close, close and still no a cigar. cigar. <laughs> That's right. That's right, Tom. I smoked a cigar. I, I, yep, we virtually, we, we had a virtual cigar smoking session. We did. So, but there is still Star Wars pictures in Calvin's room. So, amen. So, uh, I guess what we're going to talk about, if I'm not mistaken, Sal, is what is our, each of ours, and we may even pick the same one. We'll see. Mm-hmm. What is our favorite all time Star Wars film? And I think we should break it down into two categories. First, our all time favorite of the original three. And then our next favorite out of, you know, out of the whole universe or out of the yep. whole, you know, cin- cinematic universe. Yeah. So, so you want, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go I, first. I, I think we, we probably are going to pick the same movies, but Pro- probably we are. We shall see. Cause we're both diehard fans. <laughs> um, so my favorite of the three is absolutely empire strikes back like hands down that film is um i mean all three of them are good you couldn't have empire strikes back without a new hope and you couldn't you know and without empire strikes back you obviously wouldn't have had return of the jedi all of them are good but man empire strikes back uh luke going to visit yoda i mean the whole thing the whole thing is just crazy good yeah I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, our, that's also my, my favorite of the original trilogy. That's my favorite. Uh, there's something to be said for, I think, now this isn't always true, but I think especially for Star Wars, um, I think the, the second out of trilogies, it tends to be, in my opinion, the best or the better of the film. Uh because they've kind of flushed out the first one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's could be said about God, the Godfather trilogy. Could be said about Star Wars. It could be. And we are, by the way, talking about the original trilogy of Star Wars, not the original uh, trilogy, not the prequels. From, yeah. <laughs> we know yeah. the pre, the best For, prequel, well, the best of the prequels was definitely Revenge of the Sith. But even even then, yes. it was you know. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about four or five, <laughs> four or five and six, not one, two, and three. Yeah, I, I did like four, five, and six. Right, I did like three. I liked three out of the, the out of the three. That's confusing. Out of the yeah. three prequels, Revenge of the Sith is what brought it back to where it should have been to be. Begin with. They should have never left. <laughs> they should have never left that. Uh, but it they was could have. Yeah. The, uh, the of the prequels, one and two could have been the first half hour of the third one. Absolutely, they could have just made the third one a little longer. And summed up the first two movies. Yeah. 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 And then it it would be less complaints. I mean, there are those diehard pain in the butt Star Wars fans that are going to complain about anything beyond the original three. And yet they'd be pissed off if only the three existed and there was no Star Wars universe. So they're the kind of people that you can't win on either side of it. So I I think it's funny that the, the people that hated the prequel trilogies were people our age, you know, Gen X folks and we screamed the prequels are made for kids and yet the original were made for kids for kids yeah and and the kids who grew up with the prequels love the prequels and and i think that's the original trilogy and that is why i think like george lucas understood this i i don't think the original fans understood the gen xers understood that there's a george was he was reaching a new generation of kids and and what worked in the seventies would not work in the in the you know late nineties. Yeah. So and he was. I mean, looking back, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was the first to take a movie and parlay because the original movies really in the box office were did okay, <laughs> but really where he made his money and everyone thought he was crazy 
but where he made he made his money was licensing the film to toys. Yeah. yeah. Um, only yep. and only after the movies came out and were in the theaters did he did the toys skyrocket. Yeah. yeah. By the way, a lot so of people he, when, when Star Wars came out in the theater, um, a lot of people thought it was like garbage. Uh, you, you'll still hear people like, "Oh, Star Wars? Heck no! Star Trek? You know?" <laughs> yeah. Because, but they're two but, different. They're two different beasts. It was seen as a as a, a, a cheap, not cheap, but kind of a cheesy spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah. which was which it was. It was a it was a play on spaghetti westerns and and samurai films. Yes. Yes. So. It was a space opera, and it had a uh, political message that I'm mean, not that the Star Trek didn't, but it didn't in a lot of ways. Like Star Trek yeah. came out of the era of the Cold War, right? And, and yes, and civil rights movement. In, yeah, and civil rights movement. And yes, um, sure. Uh, so did so did well. Star Wars was post civil, not post civil rights, but post civil rights in the sense that that had already happened and was happening. But it was still in the Cold War. But it came out for the rather than the baby boomer generation, um, it came out for the Gen Xers who questioned everything. Yep. And you see that yep. questioning of everything in Star Wars, like nothing is secure in Star Wars. And it came, whereas uh, Star Trek was a Cold War, Star or Star Trek was Cold War, Star Wars was more of the end of the 70s coming out of the uh, coming out of the uh, Vietnam and yeah. You know, yeah. questioning everything and kind of the system's out to get talk. you. Yep. The empire strikes back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's exactly what it is. Um, and I like the fact that George Lucas, even in the prequels, he never lost that sight. Like the prequels had their political message for sure. Yep. Um, and and I one of my favorite lines comes out of um, uh, actually Attack of the Clones. Where, where, well, it's not Princess Amidala anymore, but um, but uh, Senator uh, Padme, uh, where she, um, where she says, and this is so. This is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. Say that. Yep, and you look at our own democracy and what we just saw in <laughs> January sixth, mm-hmm. and it's like that's prophetic, man. It's yeah. <laughs> this is how democracy can- dies. And that came out around the time of the uh, Iraq War. Yes, it did. So, yes, it did. Yep. So, it, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant storytelling. Um, you know, the, yes, I do think that he focused a little too much on CG effects and a little less on story, but the story's still there. It just the first, the first one drug, the second one had a little more import, and the third one was like, finally, <laughs> yeah. finally, I mean, we're back. The first one, I mean, and I, I don't know if he was, and this could be part of our discussion later. I don't know if he was fully aware of mm. just the racial stereotypes that he put in the first one. Yes, with, uh, Jar Jar, the, the trade, well, with Jar Jar and the Trade Federation, like he, <laughs> blatant stereotypes of Asian people, yep, and black people, yep. I mean that the actor who did Jar Jar said he that was the worst thing for his career ever. So he like he couldn't get past it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of the now, but there's also a lot Jar of Jar Jar just diver. sucked all together. <laughs> yeah. Now there is there is a, a Star Wars theory that Jar Jar was a Sith Lord because it was all an act. And if you look, if you actually look at the storyline, he was involved in every major turning point in the plot. So right, right, right. So but who knows? That's yeah. another podcast. That's another podcast. So anyway, we've named our favorite of the original trilogy. Um, what's your favorite of the broader c- cinematic universe? So my favorite is um, not of the 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 trilogy proper. Uh, it's uh, a Star Wars story. So uh, it was Rogue One. Um, so much so that I got it tattooed on my arm. Mm-hmm. rebellions are built on hope um what i liked about the star wars stories and i'm i'm excited about uh not only Obi- mandalorian but the obi-wan. obi-wan kenobi whenever it comes out <laughs> yep which is coming out with uh what's it, ewan mcgregor yep. and and uh what's his name um hayden christian Chris, Chris, uh, yeah hayden christensen yep. yeah i'm so excited I'm actually, he's back uh, people people yeah. piss, piss pardon me people piss on him 
it wasn't his fault. Like when you see what he did in Revenge of the Sith, just sends goosebumps up your arms when you're watching that fight between him and Obi-Wan. Yeah. People give him a hard time because he had to do his best to act his way out of a bad script. Yeah. 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 Um, But anyway, uh, so I liked the idea of um, they took, they made a motion picture out of essentially six seconds of scroll, this insignificant scroll of being a, a new hope that says, um, you know, about the spies stealing the Death Star plans. Mm. So while it's not focused around the trilogy characters proper, it still ties into the story because it's about how in a new hope they were able to destroy the death star they also answered um, the vulnerability issue like one of the biggest critiques of the original movie was how could you build something so technologically advanced like that a planet killer and leave such a gaping <laughs> vulnerability where you just send a missile down this one hole and it'll just blow the whole thing up you know <laughs> they explain yeah. how that happened when I won't yeah. give it away for those who haven't watched it, but they give a very plausible, good explanation. Very, yeah. Very good explanation. Yeah. Um, uh, good and plausible because it, it's that theme of fighting against empire. Yeah. Um, and what empires can do to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think out of all, like, even though Empire Strikes Back, I think it's the grittiest of the original trilogy. Rogue One, I think, is the grittiest of all of the Star Wars movies because number one, it treats it treats the war properly. It's actually I would consider Rogue One a war movie. It's a war movie, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, it's not just a, a sci-fi movie. It's a war movie. Um, yeah, it's a it's a war movie, absolutely. And honestly, I if I were to rate all of the movies from best to worst, and I I agree with you, Rogue One is my favorite um, out of the ones beyond beyond the trilogy but i would even say rogue one's better than the trilogy and and mm-hmm. and rogue one shows you shows you the stakes and honestly without what happened in rogue one there would be no trilogy so yeah 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 it's just some, it's just yeah. great uh some would argue that you know it's not the better either i would argue that rogue one empire strikes back and yeah. possibly new hope are the yeah. top three agreed um because new hope is so gritty and it or Rogue One, not yeah. New Hope. New Hope builds on the idea of hope, but I think Rogue One. Um, I mean, I was so moved by the scene that I got it tattooed on my arm, uh, where uh, Jin is in the in the in the planning room with all the generals and stuff, and they say, "You expect us to attack an Imperial station on nothing more than hope." And she says, but rebellions are built on hope. Amen. They so are. Amen. You, Amen. If you were hopeless, you wouldn't you wouldn't start a rebellion. You wouldn't fight back. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't fight back true. if you had That's no right. hope. Yeah. Um, um, and it speaks to the idea of, you know, when you are when you are so oppressed and beaten down, there's that one little spark that can ignite a rebellion. Absolutely. And this is stepping outside of the Star Wars universe big time. But that's what I love about um, the show um, Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale, because there again are people who are so oppressed and yet they're able to find the hope to continue on and to fight, to resist. Um, even when that seems like a hopeless effort, they have enough hope to do it. And, and it's that same principle that rebellions are built on hope. It's the hope of something better, the hope of overcoming the injustice the hope of overcoming oppression. Um, and that's so central to Star Wars. I mean, it's just so central to Star Wars. Um, so I would agree with you. I think my top three Star Wars films of all times are uh, definitely Rogue One, uh, definitely Empire Strikes Back, and then A New Hope. Um, I don't I don't consider Revenge of the Sith low on my list, but it's not at the top of my list either. I, I think... I think it's a good film. And if, if like you said, they didn't have the first two to kill everybody's <laughs> anger, everybody and kill everybody's interest. Um, you would, I think, I think standing on its own, it would have been a great film and it would have been more accepted than, than it was. Yeah. Um, and I think that the actors were unfairly, especially Hayden Christensen were, were, were really pissed on 
unfairly for it, but yeah, that's my, that's my view. Um, so, uh, okay. So then out of uh, one last thing for this, and then we'll move on, um, out of the newest, uh, sequels, which is your favorite? This is a tough one. Cause I, I'm going, I'm going with my, my theory of the middle, the middle film of the trilogy is usually the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think The Last Jedi, for all the critiques that it had, I think of that trilogy was the most spiritual. It was. Was, was the most um, kind of finding your inner identity, uh, your inner um, calling, so to speak. Um, but so that was my favorite of the and then the, the third one i think was really good like, yeah yeah and i would put the third one i enjoyed the third one better because for one reason and one reason alone i think they were on equal par i think people again unfairly criticized the last jedi it was an excellent film um they they criticized they criticized i don't even really fully understand the criticism of it to be honest yeah. with you um but but the only thing that irked me about The Last Jedi was Princess Leia, you know, um, a force force propelling through space. They, they, yeah. That was like, they could have done without like that. Like Superman. Yeah. It, was, it, it literally was like Superman 2 with, uh, with the Zod. <laughs> Zod and his yeah. cronies flying through space. It was bad. It was just yeah. bad. Yeah, it was bad. But, but, but other mine, than that. But, but minus that, the whole idea of, you know, that last spark of hope of, the one yeah. general flying flying the ship yeah. through as she powerful. jumps to light speed. Powerful. It was powerful. Yeah, no, I no. Think that, that's the only flaw in the film. That is the only flaw. Yeah. And it's it's so small of a flaw you can look past it. You just you cringe and you laugh and then it's gone, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the film stands on its own. Yeah. I think I think the the last Jedi, it it serves that, like I said with Empire Strikes Back, it serves that bridge of okay let's flush these characters out spiritually and, yeah. and stuff. And then I did, I would put after that, I would put the, uh, the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Cause I didn't and, get the, um, cause it had this idea. Yeah. yeah Ray was technically not the Skywalker, but she was, but she was, yeah. You know, she was of, she was, uh, of the family because of the connection to the force and her, the spiritual connection. connection. And, and that's what I like about it. It's not about blood relations, which all of the films up to this point have been focused on blood relations. Yeah. These films took it away from that and said, no, 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 no. There's, there's a relation more powerful than blood. And that is spiritual. Yeah. And it, and it, it ties into, you know, Paul's theology of adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. It totally does. Absolutely. Totally. Absolutely does. And we were all adopted in the family of God, just like she was adopted in the family Skywalker. And what I really loved about it and why I put that one on top um, is because I love that that one has the stakes at its at its damnedest, at its highest, like yeah. like it the 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 evil of the emperor trying to manifest itself back into life. And, and yeah. the, the the idea that evil is always lurking around the corner, waiting to devour you, and somebody somebody has to stand up to it. Um, yeah. That that was so present in in the rise of Skywalker that I just it just yeah. so those two are, are are pretty much on equal ground for me, um, with yeah. a slight edge well, to Rise of Skywalker for me. Yeah, slight edge for me was uh, the Last Jedi, but I also. Uh, the theme in the rise of Skywalker also was just like in um, revenge of the Jedi, the idea of redemption um, where at the end of, you know, Luke fulfills the prophecy by redeeming his father. Um, At the end of the last, uh, the rise of Skywalker, Han Solo redeems his son. Right. So you're speaking of return of the Jedi, return of the Jedi. And, uh, and um, the last sky, sky, rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that scene where where Kylo see or Ben sees his dad. Yes, yes, yes. Which, by the way, was was so hard to watch in in um, the Force Awakens. I mean, every one of those films are great. 
I, I, the Force Awakens was such a uh, was such a happy sight for me. Like it's like Star Wars is back and it's back for real. Someone's taking this seriously and bringing it to the next level. Praise God! Right. And and one of the things that made that that way for me was the decision to get rid of Han Solo, which was yeah. by the way Harrison Ford's idea. He he knew mm-hmm. that he needed to pass the baton. The time had come, and this was the most fitting death for him. You know, trying to save his yeah. family, trying to redeem his son. Uh, yeah. The father laying down his life. I mean, it's just yeah. again the spirituality there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the rise of Skywalker, he, uh, he succeeds, and he succeeds. Yeah, he succeeds. Yeah. That's right. The, the death. It was not the end for Han Solo. Yep. Um, there's resurrection there. So, yeah, great stuff. All right, so we're going to move on from that topic. <laughs> We could talk about that all night. But. We could just make that the podcast, yeah. So uh, the next thing we're going to do, and this is our main topic, and it's going to be our main topic, I think, for a while because it needs to be addressed, and you can't address it in just one sitting, and that is racism. Um, yep. So we have a couple shows that we're going to talk about, and we're going to keep looking for shows to bring to your attention to have you watch. And so which one do you want to go with first, Sal? Mm-hmm. You want to go with uh, them first? Let's go with them first. That's uh, in fact, it, I would encourage people to watch them first and then watch the other one we're going to tell you about in a little bit because them is so creepy and disturbing, yeah. and and the other one is more fun and easier to watch. So it's better to start off with heavy and end lighter. <laughs> but yep. and it's relative. It's it's still not that light even in the other one. But yeah. okay, so uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the show Them on Prime. Amazon Prime uh, is set in the 1950s, uh, Watts, California. Yeah. You know, which if you know any of the history, you know, um, Watts in California now is a predominantly African-American city. And actually, Watts was one of the locations where they move in is Compton. Compton. Why was I thinking Watts? Because her family member members live in Watts, which is not not That's too far it. away. That's why it's they're both so, in yeah. West, Compton, West Compton. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone knows Compton nowadays because of NWA straight out of Compton. It is a um, predominantly African American area, but this is set in the fifties when the with the first family to move into Compton, first African American family, uh, and. Everything that surrounds it, uh, and they were fleeing, ironically, the racist South. Yeah, and that's what was really you know you hear about white, and I'm sure you did too in seminary. You hear about white flight and all of that, but that when you read it in a book, it has less. It's less real. You know what I'm saying? It's just words on a mm-hmm. book, and you don't really put two and two together. And you think you hear like you know straight out of Compton, and you're like, oh, this is great. It's about the hood, and you know, blah blah blah. And not that that's great, but like, you know, you, you enjoy the music, you, you get that that's where they're from. And this is what life in Compton's like. Well, this shows you what life in Compton was like in the 50s, where it was Main Street, USA, Disney, uh, yep. American dream, white suburbia. White suburbia, manicured lawns, perfect lawns. Yep. You know, it was straight out uh, of the Truman Show. Yep. Yeah. Car in every, you know, a new car in every driveway. You know, a stay-at-home wife in every house. You know, yep. Um, leave it to Beaver home. Leave it to Beaver. Yep. Um, and it, this really, you know, there was a miniseries on ABC back in the '90s about the Civil War, uh, and I will never forget the scene where there's a one of the Southern characters is traveling on a train with one of his slaves, uh, and the slave says. You know, she prefers the South because at least, uh, because at least the racism is on billboards. Right. Basically, in the South, she knew her place because racism was front and center. Yeah. It was printed on the billboards, whereas in the North, it wasn't on billboards, but it was still printed on people's hearts. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In the South, you've got a clear warning: better not catch your head caught without the sun. You know, <laughs> the sundown towns where, where if you were if you were a Negro, so to speak, uh, and you were caught out at night in a town, you could be lynched, and nobody would stop them. Yep. Whereas in 
were in the north, it was like, oh, yeah, we're free up here. But there was still discrimination and it was hidden in their heart, not out for display, which is really what this show them really highlights is, you know, the struggle of not only being the first African-American family to move into a neighborhood, a white neighborhood, uh, but also it deals with this systemic racism of how the housing market and finance. Yeah. Uh, like they actually had districts that they would not lend to because of African-Americans. They were, they made the African-Americans sign uh, disclosures that on the disclosure said Negro blood ain't allowed here. <laughs> like literally yeah. said that. And they're like, well, what, so are we allowed to move here? Oh, don't, don't worry about that. Worry they about can't it. enforce it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can't enforce it. And also the, the, the rates, the interest rates would be twice, if not three times what the white families would have so that yeah. they took them longer to pay it off. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, and the idea was to, to, to paint a picture that this is a welcome and friendly place for black people when it was actually just as hostile differently, but just as hostile as Jim yep. Crow South. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you in at these ridiculous rates, but we'll do everything we can to make you leave and keep you in your place. Yeah. It, even to the point of having the, the police, the police were in on it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we'll let these people in and we'll make sure that nobody wrestles them too much. But really, they were on the side of the people, ra- you know, wrestling them. So harassing yeah. them. Yep. And and this is a creepy film. Uh, one of the th- constant themes that comes up is blackface played by an African-American uh, who's wearing blackface. So it's a black man wearing blackface. Uh, so it's like a character of the character of black people. Yeah. And he represents, um, without giving too much away, but he really represents how racism plays on the psyche of black people. You know, we obviously racism and, and bias creep into white people were taught it. It's racism isn't natural. It's taught. And, and we learn to be biased against people. We learn to, to see the color of skin as different. Um, so, so yes, those types of um, like blackface and, and those types of characters helped promote uh, racism among white people, but it also helped mm-hmm. degrade self image among black people. Yeah. There's blackface in the, in the movie. It was essentially was this character's, um, subconscious. Uh, yeah, yeah it's yep. a subconscious. It was basically, saying be a be a good black black person. Don't you know? Don't disturb the white folks. Yeah. yeah. Oh lordy, you don't want to be messing oh, with that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, at first wow. you're like, what is this about? But it becomes more and more clear as it goes on. Also, they use. Uh, and I don't know if this this book was a real book or if it was made up, but they use this book of a teacher who teaches kids manners and this and that, which seems innocuous at first. Like, Oh, we, we give our kids these books. Then you realize the subtle hidden racism that exists in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me think of this, uh, this morning when I dropped Calvin off for, for daycare this morning, cause he's walking now. So I put him down and the young girl who came to get him at the door was a person of color. And, uh, he kind of walked into the room and, and then he stood there like, where am I supposed to go? <laughs> like taking it all in. And so the young girl said, here, Calvin, and reached out her hand. He said, okay. And he reached up and took her hand and walked with her back to the classroom. And I was like, that is like just the innocence of, he doesn't know, he doesn't care that she's of color or that she's not white. Has no this concept. Is, this, is a, yeah. this is a person I trust. I'm going to walk with him. Yeah, has no concept of it. No concept of it. Um, and you see that in this, this movie too with the, the daughters. I mean, the one daughter uh, sees the, the scary uh, person in the basement, the yeah. teacher in the basement. Uh, and then the, the older daughter who's in high school who you realize that, you know. Well, without giving too much away, but she's she befriends yeah. a white girl, we'll say. Yeah, who, friends a white girl who, who creeps into her conscience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. 
And, and without giving too much away, um, basically this white girl befriends her and is completely nice to her, but there's something off about the way she, Oh, Oh, you're pretty for a black girl, you know? And, and what that does to the psyche of the child who then sees herself as other. And that's, that's, that's so sad and tragic when you see yourself as the other, as other, as other and you want to be accepted. different than who you are because you want to be accepted. Yeah. It's, it's just a powerful film. It'll have you at the edge of your seat. It'll have you creeped out. The imagery does not go away <laughs> after watching it, but it'll have you bawling your eyes out and it'll make you aware of what it's like to be black in this country. Yep. In a way that I think sure. I think every white person should, by default, yeah. in order to be a citizen of this country, should have to watch that. But it also deals a little bit about what it's like as a white person to just the idea of power and not wanting to disrupt the status quo. There's the there's the the preacher character who, yeah. you know, they have this idyllic uh, community that lets in these two black folk, yep. but then the group mentality and the the desire to keep the peace and to keep his control over the group as the preacher leads him to racism and the wives i mean like the main character the main wife you know like at first you think that she's got the greatest life ever and her life is is grand and there's no problems until the black people move in but what you realize is actually her life is already a cracked mess and the outside is just a facade and of course, what do you do when your life is spiraling out of control? You find scapegoats. And who are the scapegoats? Your black neighbors. But really, the black neighbors weren't the problem. It was the other things that were attacking her in her life, mainly the, broken the, the broken marriage, the white male hierarchical patriarchal uh, society that she found herself in. Those were the enemy, not the black people. But of course, what do you do? you fear what you don't know and what you don't know are those people over there. And so that's who you, became what you off when you often do when you're unhealthy is you protect, project your stuff on others. Like I found, I don't know if you found this to be the case, you found like almost that you wanted to hate her, but you couldn't because you felt, you, you, you felt pity for her. You, you, and yeah, that, you felt bad for her. That's what I liked about this film. It didn't, it, it didn't try to make you hate white people. It made you feel pity for white people for not seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, you know, and there were some people in there that you could hate pretty easily, but but yeah. but it wasn't some it wasn't so like white people are bad and black people are good. It was just like this is this is yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a white guilt kind of thing like oh we're, no. we suck as white people. It was it was you know this is we as white people have our own quibbles and our own yeah depravity yeah that we because we unfortunately because we are part of a bigger system. We Even though we it. is, we don't see it, and we end up, we end up being the 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 baton of the system. Even though we don't realize that we're doing. Yeah, and ironically, these white people thought that this black couple were the ruination of their neighborhood, when really they were ruining the neighborhood themselves. Yeah. It, it, had they had a different response to this black family moving in, the neighborhood would have been just fine. Yep. Um, that's not to say every black person who moved in would have been a good neighbor. Or every white person would have been a good person. You know, I mean, people are people. But if you treated people equally, you'd have your bad neighbors and you'd deal with those bad neighbors as any neighbor does. But the majority of the neighborhood would be whole. And instead, what happened? People one by one started moving out. And with them went the money. And what ended up happening is a white, well-to-do suburb turned into the projects. And this is history, folks. This may be a fictional story, but it's a it's a historical fiction. Yep. Happened in New York City in the Bronx when they put the highway through the Bronx, the white flight. Yep. Uh, happened in, you know, if you just read the history of the Bronx, like the Bronx at one point was farmland and was the suburbs of Manhattan. Yeah. Was the farming, the rural suburbs of Manhattan. Yep. There is still an enclave of wealth in the Bronx. Uh, but as soon as that highway was put in, yep. white people got out faster than, you know. But yeah, then bleach typically does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that is a good segue into the second show because the second show focuses another white suburb, Chicago. 
particularly the south side of Chicago, the white suburb of Chicago to the south, um, that by the time by the time we get to it um, is already becoming a um, predominantly black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's the same thing that happened in Compton. White people or black people escaping Jim Crow moved to New York. They moved to uh, Chicago. They moved to Compton and Watts and Memphis. And or where did you say? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Yeah, not Memphis. Memphis would have been Jim Crow South. But yeah, <laughs> Minneapolis. They moved to all of these different places. Um, and um, and what happened? in those places are the same thing that happened in, in, um, Compton, you know, people, they resisted, they, they, Mm -hmm. they terrorized, they humiliated, they intimidated, and then they split (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they weren't going to live next to no Negro. And that's, that's, that was the attitude. Um, and and your house value to this day, still to this day, your house value drops if, if black people live in your neighborhood. Which goes back to the systemic financial. Yeah. So no, we're not. We're not. You know, I, I agree. I think um, not to get political, but I think the vice president, uh, Vice President Harris, had an appropriate response this morning to Tim Scott, who said, "We're not a racist country. America is not a racist country." She said, "I agree. America is not a racist country, but it has racism built into its system." And we need to do everything we can to eradicate that. So, yeah, no, America doesn't stand for racism. The idea of America, most Americans themselves don't want to see black people dead in the streets or, you know, but we benefit from systems that were put in place for racist purposes. Yep. And they're still in place. And they shouldn't be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, And unfortunately, what, and what you and how you see that coming to play nowadays is these these areas. Uh, I didn't get that. Could you try again? Oops, I don't know why Siri responded to that. Anyway. <laughs> Do you have a male Siri voice? I, I guess I have it set to a male Siri voice now. That's interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, so what you see now is, uh, like you said, the house values go down because of who moves in. White flight, everybody moves out, property values go down. Yeah. What you see now, especially in areas like Newburgh, New York, uh, parts of Brooklyn, parts of New York City, um, white flight happens. All the white people leave, take their money with them. Property values go down because of it's all of the lower income people of color move in because it now is, is affordable. And then you get gentrification where the yes. white people move back in yes, yes. and so the, the the cycle happens over again where like you see it happening now uh with newburgh with like orange county new york where you know folks are moving out of the city to these rural counties mm-hmm. because it's cheaper and then which then allows the white people to move back into the city take over these yeah. cultures and these diverse neighborhoods and right. as black people Starbucks. move out to rural areas the rural areas the white flight still exists yep so <laughs> yeah. so so never ending it's a hamster wheel of uh yeah. disparity yeah and what i loved about lovecraft country is it's based off of a book that was inspired by hp lovecraft's work in general but the book marries hp lovecraft and the horror the sci-fi kind of psychological horror that his, his work entails to racism. And the real neat thing about it is we live in a day of cancel culture, like, like blazing saddles would never get made in today's time because people just, Mm. you know, it's like what Jack Nicholson said, you want the truth. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) Like um, that's kind of where we live right now where people, you know, like art is continually being criticized because it's offensive this way or it's offensive that way. When, Art is meant to offend. It's meant to agitate. Yeah. It's meant to upset the order of things. That, that's kind of what art right. does. And so what I loved about this was H.P. Lovecraft was a brilliant author. He was a troubled man, but he was a brilliant author. 
and had brilliant stories that were underappreciated mostly while he was alive and became since beloved, you know, ever since. Um, you know, things like the call of Cthulhu, which became a Metallica song at some point, you know, and, and, uh, on ride the lightning. And, um, uh, you have the cold Cthulhu mythos, the Dunwich horror, you know, like the color out of space, which there's a new movie on shutter now, but with Nicolas Cage, which is phenomenal. Um, and you know, so, so he's really been a heavy influence for a lot of people. Um, so he was a great writer brilliant writer but he was a flawed man and he had racist views as a lot of people in his time did heck the the founder of planned parenthood was all for eugenics you know like like mm -hmm. these people you know were not perfect nobody is so rather than cancel him this um black um producer and writer decided to uh, uh adopt a story out of a book i forget who the author was who wrote the book but basically what they did was instead of canceling hp lovecraft they update him and they bring his world of horror to the screen and within it, they put in the horror of racism. So it both appreciates his work and also comments on it. <laughs> you yep. know, not that his work itself was in, in any, not that racism came through explicitly in any of his work, but they comment on the person, the, fl the flawed aspects of that person. And yep. the, the story revolves around the, this, dealing with the horror of racism in lovecraft country so basically uh all of these lovecraft type scenarios are happening in this particular part of the country which is which new happens england. to be yep new england which happens to be very racist and that's where they go to to settle these these things this connection with the family and so by going to lovecraft country is how they deal with rate the horror racism yeah. um and it kind of upset upsets the 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 narrative because the their connection to the paranormal of lovecraft company is to this black family so yeah and um, and without giving too much away the family basically for, for reasons which we will not say has an inheritance into this white family's uh not only their estate but they're, they're magical properties and uh, their right. order uh, because, well, we're not going to say why, but, but it involves racism, <laughs> you know, like they used black people in a way and uh, one of their servants ran away with the book and, um, yep. and had a child and that child was a part of the family. <laughs> now think Thomas Jefferson, think Thomas Jefferson, you know, white person in power having sex with a, black servant and so her servant gets pregnant and now the child's in the lineage. So, uh, that's, that's what ultimately happens. And they mix, um, all of these weird, like, um, HP Lovecraftian, uh, Cthulhu mythos stories together with this family who's struggling to find their identity outside of what white America tells them they are. Um, and I just, man, like it was just so brilliant. It's, it's fun. It has elements of Indiana Jones in it, it has elements of, yep. I mean, it's just a wide, it's just a wide range of, of different things. So that's why I suggest watching them first and then going to this one. This one's more enjoyable, yeah. but it definitely talks about it. racism. And they take, they take place pretty much in the same, the same time era. frame, early fifties, whereas, uh, them deals with, uh, the changing dynamics of Compton. Uh, one of the main sub stories of uh, Lovecraft Country is they go to the funeral of uh, they go to one of the public viewings of Emmett Till. Yeah, with who who sparked who's killing sparked the civil rights movement. Yeah, um, and the girls the the girl in the 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 girl in the family was friends with Emmett Till and knew Mammy um, uh, Emmett's mom. And just how how much that affected that community, and then of course, as you're seeing people lined up in droves to go to this funeral, I mean, it looked like something out of a Black Lives Matter funeral today. But people lined up in droves to see Emmett Till. And and what's remarkable about Emmett Till, and I dare you, if you're listening to this, to Google Emmett Till, um, 
and, and Google specifically Emmett Till's body and look at the images. Yep. Here was a 14-year-old boy who lived in the south side of Chicago who was visiting family down in Mississippi, Mississippi and got lynched and got beaten. His face beaten until it was unrecognizable. Then they tied a, a, um, a mill uh, fan to, uh, to a, a cotton mill fan, I believe, to, a, um, to his neck with barbed wire and threw him into a river. So look at Google before and after pictures. See yep. this young, handsome black kid and what what happened. And his mother very bravely decided, nope, that's how I want people to see him. I want people to see the his effects body. of racism. Yeah, she refused to have they, – they were trying to insist that she have a closed casket, and she refused to have a closed casket. So people got to see his dead corpse that had been in a river, bloated – uh, mutilated, uh, unrecognizable. He looked like he looked like a monster. The way the way he he looked in that casket, uh, totally dehumanized uh, to every little literal sense you can think of. Um, and he was a thir- he was a thirteen or fourteen year old boy who. And the reason why he was lynched, he supposedly whistled at a white girl who later, years later, confessed that he never did. He didn't. Yeah. So um, Emmett Till and. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it really does address racism in a very profound, powerful way, um, but is a little more on the lighthearted side. <laughs> Them is not lighthearted by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yeah. Well, this is a good place, I think, for us to leave it. Um, definitely check out. We'll put the trailers uh, for both both shows into the notes. Definitely check out them. Then watch um, uh Lovecraft country. And we'll be back next time with another, another, uh, uh, recommendation and friends, we got to talk about this. This isn't something we can just put down because, you know, Oh, well, Chauvin went to jail. No, it's not over. Justice happened for Chauvin's family in the extent that accountability happened, but real justice, real justice would be George Floyd being alive with his family right now. And until we have black men and women, and children being able to live safely without fear of their lives in this country. We don't have justice. No. And without justice, justice be, there is no peace. Justice would be black men and women not fearing for their lives for their lives because at a simple traffic stop. Yeah, at a simple traffic stop. Uh, being pulled over because you had an air freshener hanging on your window. Um so that's that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, but but uh, we do recommend you watch those um, films. And as always, um, well, not as always, but specifically today and always, may the fourth be with you. And be excellent to each other. And don't be a jerk. Rock on. Rock on.